John Zawis has built more than 120 homes for poor families in Tijuana, Mexico. John is not an ordinary volunteer. He's been on 43 teams with International Relief Teams Organization. After 44 years in the Navy, John has devoted his retirement to improving impoverished communities in Tijuana, Mexico. When John first volunteered with IRT in the isolated, dusty squatter's village of Fuentes Duval, he saw a sea of 150 shacks where families lived in makeshift shelters with dirt floors and tarp roofs. He said it was a hopeless place. Day after day, John immersed himself in the community, getting to know each family. And after four years, John helped turn Fuentes into a community where families were living safely. They were raising their children safely and sending them to school and to work hard and to better their circumstances. John reports that the community has changed. It's an expanse of brightly colored homes now. John also designed and built an elementary school in Fuentes. Walking around this newly built city, transformed city, it is clear that this fella John is beloved. Everyone is grateful to him and thankful for his service. Building is more than just making a structure out of wood or stone. We want to change our communities by rebuilding the walls of value and of morals. We want to share hope through love and service because we care about the people around us. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that we are able to gather here. That we are able to hear your word, that you've given us your word. I thank you for giving us your son for that sacrifice on the cross so many years ago and for the resurrection that gives us victory over death. Lord, I ask that your awesome and amazing word would guide us now and would show us your life. In Jesus' name, amen. We are working through Nehemiah. This week we are ready for chapter 4. The story that I just read or highlighted about the fellow named John in Tijuana, uh, it was a great story. Uh, a story of a leader going into a place and, and building it up. Now, his story was in contrast to our story in Nehemiah because of one thing. The opposition. Nehemiah faced opposition. There were bad guys in our story that we read from Nehemiah. He faced opposition and we do as well. We face opposition. 
chapter 4, verse 1. Sumbalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. Angry. The enemy was angry when they started to rebuild. Not everyone wants to see values restored. Not everyone wants to see cities rebuilt for good. This is the case here. And the enemy became very angry. Intimidation is the first thing that we see Nehemiah encounter in chapter 4. Intimidation, verses 2 through 3, when Sambalat flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, he, he said in front of his friends and the Samaritan, uh, the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. Intimidation. The purpose of intimidation from the enemy is to keep the Jews dependent. See, as long as Sambalat and Tobiah and the folks were able to keep the Jews from rebuilding the walls and the gates in Jerusalem, then Jerusalem would be weak and would be dependent. They wouldn't be a threat to the surrounding communities. The Jewish folk have, uh, have great power, they knew, and that great power comes from God. And they did not like that threat. And so if they kept them weak then they would be in a good place. Intimidation. But when people begin to serve the Lord, we'll see at the end of this, uh, look out because great things happen. So how did they intimidate? How did these, uh, these fellows intimidate Nehemiah? They mocked them. You guys know what it's like to be mocked? You experience that in everyday life. So in the first place, uh, the mocking that happens where they are mocking Nehemiah and the Jewish folk, they, they attack their character. See, these, these Jewish folks, they're poor and they're feeble and they can't do it. And they start spreading this around and talking about it. They're poor and feeble. And I wonder how that made the Jewish folks feel. And then they attacked their faith. These Jewish folk, what do they think they can do? Build a wall in a day just by offering a few sacrifices? You see, bringing the sacrifice situation here is is openly uh, acknowledging that they are religious folk, that they offer sacrifices to God. Do they think they can do anything just because they are religious? Do you experience that in your life? Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, you just, you just think you're a Christian? You think you can pray to God and uh, that'll take care of everything? I think we hear this kind of intimidation. Third thing that they uh, attack in the mocking way is the 
ability of these Jewish folk? Do they actually think that they can build something out of this rubble? Uh, these stones were even charred. They're burnt. Now, I stop and I think to myself, um, these uh, bad guys who are uh, intimidating, when they say, do you actually think you can build it? And, and I don't know, but uh, the fact that they said that the rocks were charred, were burnt, makes me think that, um, well, for, first off, a rock being burnt? I've never burnt a rock. I don't burn them in my wood stove. And, and I know if you heat a rock up to thousands of degrees for a long enough time that it will become uh, crumbly and it won't be much good for uh, burning. But uh, these are stone walls all around Jerusalem and, and the, the, the city burnt. And I, I just don't think that those stones would have been heated up to thousands of degrees for hours so that they would have been crumbly. And so I feel like the folks who are mocking, the enemy who is mocking Jerusalem, what do you think you can do? You can build it back out of, look, those stones are even burnt because they're a little bit black. But what they don't know is uh, stones are solid. So when people mock you, they tend to make up silly things. They're not well grounded. They'll use whatever they can to make you feel like you can't do it. This is the effects of intimidation. It's meant to discourage us. It's meant to make us weary. We turn into uh, uh, victims. We get this victim's mentality and we feel like we can never do it. See this in in grade school, I remember having these feelings of discouragement, of, of, of tired and of inability. Like there's no way that I can do this because all the kids around me are saying that I can't run fast enough, that I uh, can't kick the ball hard enough. Intimidation. Things that, that the enemy uses to keep us from accomplishing great things. We see this play out here. And how does Nehemiah respond? Verse 4 through 6, prayed. He says, Then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in the foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not block out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Prayer. Nehemiah starts with prayer. We already know Nehemiah is, is a praying dude. Whenever he does something, he starts it out by prayer. And this isn't your average ask for help type of prayer. Check it out. He says, they have provoked you to anger. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not block out their sins. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And at first glance, this prayer that Nehemiah offers up uh, doesn't feel Christian, right? Love your enemy turn the other cheek, and here Nehemiah is <clears throat> praying. They're trying to stop us, God. 
let it all fall back on their own heads. And it gives you this kind of, that's it. Take that. Uh, but what gives here? I think the verse uh, right there that says something about uh, about provoking God to anger. They have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. You see, this isn't just against Nehemiah. This just isn't against the plan to rebuild a city that will uh, serve economically and will provide a place for people to live. But this is against building the city that God has inspired them to build. The city that will be the center of God's people spreading God's message throughout God's kingdom. And Nehemiah says, do not let that happen. Do not allow that God. And God does not allow that to happen. This is a bold prayer. I'm reminded of two fellows in the New Testament. Their names are James and John. They are Jesus' disciples. And Jesus chooses them knowing who they are and He gives them the name Sons of Thunder. Now why would He call these two apostles Sons of Thunder? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly why Jesus nicknames them this. But for sure... Jesus knows who they are. He knows James and John before He even lays eyes on them. And He knows that there's something inside of them that is thunderous. You guys will be sons of thunder. So He gives them this name. Uh, We may get a, a, a hint of why He calls them this when we look at Luke Uh, chapter 9, verse 54, because in this situation, Jesus is traveling to a Samaritan village, and he has the disciples with him, and they are are preaching the good news. Luke chapter 9, we can read about the story, verse 51, and as they come near the city, uh, the, the Samaritan village, Samaritans and Jewish folk don't mix well, some fellas uh, stopped them outside of the town. They did not welcome Jesus, it says, because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 54, when James and John saw this, that they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let uh, Jesus and them into the city, the village, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. They went on to another village. Sons of thunder. Was this why Jesus called them sons of thunder? That at a, at a spur of a moment, James and John are ready. Okay, Lord, should we just call fire down right now to burn these people up so that we can move in there and spread the good news? Jesus, being God, knew knew better you know he wanted to save people not burn them to charred spots in the road and so he said no and he rebuked them and they went on and they did more work but i believe that these two men these sons of thunder had the same thing inside of them that it took when nehemiah prayed this prayer he knew the work of god that was going to take place 
and he prayed to God to have it happen to the enemy what they were wanting to do with them. Now, we shouldn't make it a habit to pray uh, negative things on our enemies. But we absolutely should pray for the enemy, the number one Satan, and his ways working through people to be stopped so that we can continue to build to, to further God's kingdom. Prayer is the first response that Nehemiah has. The second response is self-discipline. Psalms chapter 21, verse 23 says, Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. Boy, is this good or what? Watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut. Uh, This is a verse for every day. Uh, Self-discipline. Don't retaliate. Uh, Leave the vengeance to the Lord. Uh, Boy, Nehemiah probably could have said, okay, they're talking bad about us. Let's start spreading rumors about them, about how small they are, about how weak they are. No matter what they tried, they couldn't uh, conquer Jerusalem. They couldn't stop us. Let's spread that around. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. He prays to God. He practiced self-discipline. He watched his tongue. He held in the uh, evil that he was probably tempted to spread around and didn't retaliate. And then he pressed on. And he pressed on with enthusiasm. Sometimes we forget to act with enthusiasm. You know, uh, Nehemiah and the, Jeru- uh, the, the Jews in, in Jerusalem here, uh, as they did their work, at this point, uh, when the bad guy is attacking, they realize we must be doing something right. Here's an indication when you're, when you're serving the kingdom of God, when, when you're doing good things uh, for God, uh, things uh, kind of bad uh, tempts to happen. I'm reminded of a story that I heard uh, 45 minutes ago of a young fella uh, who, who came to church today. He got a job, and um, he's had the job for like two weeks. And, uh, and 14 years old, is that what you are, Xander? And he said, uh, he told the, he, he told him, hey, I would like to go to church on Sundays. Can, can I have off Sunday mornings to go to church? And uh, they said, no, we'll find someone else to work. Ooh, you know, fired uh, from your first job because you wanted to come to church. That right there is pressing on with enthusiasm. And I told Xander to, to file a notch in the, the, the grip of his pistol. Like he doesn't have a pistol or anything. But, but that kind of a deal because uh, this is what's going to happen. We are going to face opposition and you're going to catch it. And what we do is we take that and then we turn it to enthusiasm. I must be doing something right. Choosing to follow God and to work for his kingdom is going to asking for a little bit of opposition. And then we push on. Take that bad guys. Take that enemy. The scripture uh, that we just read follows up that the, the wall is now 50% built. The wall is half up all the way around Jerusalem. Now when intimidation didn't cause the people to quit building, 
the law, the bad guys intensified their opposition. They moved from playing head games, from mocking to physical threat. This is the second thing that we face in the opposition that we encounter in in Nehemiah's story in chapter 4 is the threat, verses uh, 7 through 9. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdites, heard that the work was going to was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into a confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. They were furious. They went from angry to furious. Sometimes things go from bad to worse. And they they get worse before they get bad or they get they get bad, they get worse. How does how's that go? They they get worse before they get better. There we go. Um that's just the way the way it is. This is like uh starting a new exercise plan. You want to be uh big and strong, uh like Brant McGee and uh so you decide you're gonna start working out and Oh, it's a bummer, the pain. And then you get tired, and you realize you have to eat more protein and uh, uh, eat, eat better food. And, and, and you have to do it again the next morning, over and over, and, and the pain and the exhaustion. And uh, it just doesn't seem worth it. But that pain, that uh, uncomfortableness <clears throat> has to take place <clears throat> before you can get better. We have to push ourselves. So these bad guys, they went from angry to furious. And they got other bad guys to go along with them. We've seen uh, the others surrounding them. Jerusalem is, is at this point surrounded on all sides. The Hornites, the Amorites, the Arabs. And in verse 7, we see another bad guy coming in, the Ashdites. And so on all sides of Jerusalem, they were surrounded by people who did not want them to bring, uh, to bring the wall of Jerusalem up. Thank you, Jess. They didn't want it to happen. The plan, in verse 8, is like a terrorist attack. So, the, the, the terrorist uh, attacks... We see this is not an all-out war. This is an attack here and there that they are planning. Uh, they they want to do a little bit here and a little bit there, and uh, but but not take a full-out attack. So this is this is the word you would think of of these kind of guys that um, want to do a little bit, j- j- just a jab here and a poke here to get them to try to stop. Uh, the word that I think of is is, is chicken turds. Uh, these guys that don't want to stand up to man up to the enemy, uh, they're not full out. They're just like, let's just be sneaky and go around and do this here and this here and try to bring them down uh, slowly. Little terrorist attacks. They want to confuse the Jews. Confuse them. Attack a little bit here. 
and a little bit over here and to where they're so mixed up to where they, they can't work with their hands. They can't rebuild because uh, they're so afraid. That they have anxiety of, of what's going to happen. They never know when it's going to happen next or where it's going to happen next. I had a van like this once. Uh, I'd load my family up in it and it would run great until I, I got, I don't know, uh, two hours away from home and it up and just quit. Uh, and I, I work on vehicles, but I couldn't find the electrical problem with this van. Um, I would work on it and, and it, it just would never give me any inclination that it was going to quit. These little bitty attacks. And every time, I'm never driving this van ever again. I'm taking it home and taking it to raise. It will be scrapped and junked and uh, it run good for another couple weeks. And I'd be like, okay, we'll, we'll drive it for a while. And I'd be on my way to an important meeting and it would quit and leave me on the side of the road until uh, finally I just ditched it. I was tired of those uh, uh, unplanned or the, the un, uh, ability to tell when it was going to come. And so I just got rid of it. That, that's what the enemy wanted Jerusalem to do, to stop uh, building because of the anxiety of never knowing when they were going to be attacked. Again, how does Nehemiah and Jerusalem respond to the threats? Verse 9 says, prayer. Always prayer. And this is an active prayer. James chapter 4, uh, verse 7 says, to humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and we will flee. Folks, that's what we want to see. We want to see only the backside of the devil because he is fleeing from our presence because we are humbling ourselves before God. God can uh, and will build his kingdom through us and through the works in us. We pray and we see the devil flee. We must be on guard. 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, verse 8 through 9 tells us to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Stay alert. Stand firm. Strong in your faith. And the third thing that uh, we see as opposition the enemy do to Nehemiah is uh, create complainers. This is kind of different than the first two um, because this is coming from within inside of the walls of Jerusalem. The workers. The ones who weren't so enthusiastic after a while. They begin to complain. Verses uh, 10 through 12 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. And some folks got scared. They got concerned and they started to complain. The enemy's tactics at this point are taking their toll among the builders. They are tired and they are afraid 
the enemy is taunting them right outside the walls that they are building. And uh, in a time when this should have made them work harder, putting up the blocks, blocks, okay, now I can't see you anymore, enemy, keep building. But they were worried. Some of them were complaining. And again, Nehemiah's response to this, uh, verse 13, he said, I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by their families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. And then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Protection. Nehemiah equipped them. He equipped them with swords, spears, and bows. You see, they weren't going to be just sitting ducks. They weren't going to be just construction workers doing their job and waiting to be picked off by the enemy. We're going to sit down and take it. They were armed, armed guards. It was, if he was to say to the enemy, hey, we are not defenseless. Uh, do not mess with us or we will do what it takes to defend ourselves. It's like a dog. I know I use illustrations of my dog a lot, but uh, when he bears his teeth, he means business, right? You know not to go any further. Now, they may growl. A dog might growl. A dog might bark. But until he pulls that lip up and shows you the fang with which he will sink into your flesh, you're not sure if he's going to do anything. And when he does that, he's showing you the weapon that he will use against you. Nehemiah, when he arms his workers, is bearing their teeth. Do not mess with God's people. Do not impede the bill, the, the building, the progress of his city. They take their positions. They guard the weak points. Uh, Romans chapter 16, <clears throat> verses 17, says to watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Watch out for these people. Watch out and remember God. He called the people together. Nehemiah did. You know, this is an important thing. He met with them and discussed the situation, discussed the threats, and discussed how they were going to deal with it and probably discussed how they were going to continue to build the wall at the same time. Listen, church, we meet together. We started these new team meetings and and, uh, we need to remember when we meet together for anything that the enemy doesn't win. He doesn't have the final say and he doesn't win this game that we call life. He doesn't win. How much uh, more energy could we take from anything you know, to bare our teeth, to, to, to flex our muscles, to, to continue to build, knowing that we will have success. When we are facing 
opposition, we need to focus on each other as well. We need each other more than ever when we're going through opposition. <clears throat> Not isolating. When you're <clears throat> having difficulty uh, being attacked in some sort of way, struggling in your marriages, in your jobs, in your faith, in your uh, school, whatever it is, struggling, being attacked by the opposition, that's not the time to isolate. We need each other more than ever in those times. Nehemiah calls them out. He reminds them who they are. Verse uh, 14, if we could go back to verse 14, the last part of that, he says, remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, your wives, and your home. You know who's not mentioned in that list? Men. Men, this is your call to step up and to fight this good battle because you are remembering God and what He's created you to be. Nehemiah is specifically speaking to the men to rise up to do our work. Not that the others aren't doing work as well, because they are. We see that in previous chapters of Nehemiah, that the, the, there is uh, ladies, women folk working, that there's probably uh, kids uh, making food to feed the workers. Everybody's working. The men, responsibility to uh, protect and to lead. And they are called out here to step up. To fight. It is biblical to defend and to protect your families. Faith without works is dead, James chapter 2, verse 26 says. If we have faith that God can give us salvation, if we have faith that He can enable us to do what He wants us to do, then we can fight for that and defend and protect that. We can do something about that faith. Provide some actions. Uh, put something behind our faith. Now we are also called to uh, persevere. This reminds me of a story so, a young fella, about the, about the age of my boy Flint, uh, caught a couple of frogs in the pond, and, and he loved these frogs, and he brought them home, and he wanted to put them in something, and he looked around, and he couldn't find a bowl with any water in it, and so, so he found the, 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 the bucket of milk, that, or the bucket of cream that his mother just prepared, and uh, so he plopped them down in that bucket of cream, those two frogs. Well, uh, he went away, and um, nobody messed with that bucket of cream for quite a while, and the frog can only float so long, and then he has to start swimming to keep up, and the two frogs uh, were swimming there, and one frog, uh, evidently the, the weaker mentally, uh, spiritually frog, uh, decided to stop working. I can't do it any longer. I'm just going to accept my fate. And he gave up. And he sunk to the bottom of that cream. 
and drowned in the cream. The other frog kept kicking. He said, I'm, I'm not giving up. I don't have any good idea of how we're going to get out of this bucket. It seems impossible, but I'm not giving up, and I know what I need to do to stay on top, to stay breathing. That's just to keep kicking and to keep swimming and to keep churning around in this bucket of cream. And before long, he was sitting on top of a bucket of solid butter because he didn't give up. He didn't know that that would happen, but he just kept persevering, kept continuing to do what he knew how to do. Verse 15 in our chapter 4 of Nehemiah says that when our enemies heard that we knew of their plan and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. They continued their building project. Listen, opposition can make us work smarter and live wiser, or it can make us give up and lose our purpose of life. If the enemy gets us to give up, then he has won, even though he hasn't even attacked. We need to persevere. Verse 16 through 17 says, But from then on only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Nehemiah's men. By the way, uh, when it says ne- my men, uh, his men were some of the folks that uh, King Artaxerxes sent with him to do this, to protect him on his way, if you remember. These were Persian military men, trained men. Uh, and these are the leaders that stood behind Judah where the, the, the trained officers of the Persian military, these were the folks that did that. They, they transform, transformed the people of Jerusalem into a fighting army. It takes uh, one leader to turn some, uh, we see this in the Civil War, uh, one leader from West Point would turn a bunch of a, a boy, boys with Kentucky rifles who knew exactly how to shoot and knew exactly how to take care of the weapon and knew how to survive, but they maybe didn't know how to fight in a group. And it would take one fella from West Point, and maybe he didn't know how to shoot. Maybe he didn't know how to uh, take care of his weapon, but he knew how to organize folks to fight. And the combination of those two would win a battle. If you're a football fan, sometimes I stretch to do these kind of illustrations, but I hear Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. I actually watched that, and uh, to us Chiefs fan, that's a bummer, but to the credit of Tom Brady, the Buccaneers weren't all that great before, right? And so here comes Tom Brady. He kind of transforms that team. He becomes a leader and teaches them how to play football, not just play football, but how to win a Super Bowl. And so Nehemiah, he puts in charge these uh, military men to train and to lead the fighting men who are going to protect the others who are building. Let's take this to a spiritual level. 
are we making it a point to train up leaders to go into the community to help transform and mobilize the folks in the community to fight for the kingdom of God? This is what we must be doing to transform our community. Verse uh, 17 through 20 says, The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, The work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. Be prepared, folks. Keep your weapons at hand, your sword strapped to your side. Listen, I know that you have a lot of things going on in your life. You've got a lot of things to do. You've got to work that job and make the money to take care of your family. You have got to uh, fix the vehicles, take care of the house, do the dishes, raise the children, teach the children how to do the right kinds of things. You have to do these things on an everyday basis. You have to serve uh, by uh, spreading the good news. You've got to do your job in the church. And sometimes it feels so overwhelming to have all those things to do. But don't forget to keep your weapon close. Don't forget to stay on guard, to be prepared, because there is a prowling lion sneaking around ready to devour us. And he wants nothing more than to drag us into hell. And I don't like preaching about it. I don't like talking about hell. But it's got to be done and we've got to know about it. It is a real place. And the scripture says that we must love our neighbor as ourself. Sometimes that's hard because I don't love myself. How do I love my neighbor if I don't love my, myself? But come to think of it, boy, I don't want to go to hell. That's the last place I want to go. So I for sure don't want to see anybody else go to hell. Like nobody. I want to see my neighbor go to hell. So... Stay on guard. Stay on guard. We don't want anybody to suffer the fate of that. Be prepared. This trumpeter that Nehemiah talks about, it's the communication. We have a very good way of communication here at the church. Uh, We have these uh, prayer chains. We get these messages, and sometimes uh, your phone's just going off all day long. Uh, because the church is sending a bunch of messages telling you about everything. I'm telling you what, pull that phone out and look at those prayer requests and be a warrior. We need to hold ourselves to a standard of protecting each other in this group. And we also need to be asking for prayer. And we, we ask for prayer sometimes to our, our whole group as a whole, our whole church. And then there, there are other things that maybe you're not comfortable with sharing with everybody, but you need to have some close folks that you can ask for prayer, that you can get that out among one or two other people. You get that out, and you start to, to battle it and destroy that evil. 
verses 21 through 22. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. And half the time the men were always and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they ha- they and their servants could help me or could help with guard duty both day and night. They had guard duty rotations. <clears throat> People need to rest. Uh, we all can't do it all the time. We have a rotation cycle and our volunteers and if, if you're feeling overburdened then, uh, then let's give you a, a, a break if, if you need some help and if you've uh, got extra energy then uh, you step in so that someone else can uh, take some time off and finally in order to persevere when facing opposition we must stay dressed verse 23 during this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off their clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. And I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and I'm just going to read this to you. This is the armor of God, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, folks. This battle that we are in, it's going to take us uh, knowing, it's going to take us using and reading and praying God's Word to be able to continue with the battle to continue with the building project and it's going to take the helmet of salvation that's why we're building that's why we are fighting is for uh, salvation not that any kind of fight could bring that salvation jesus christ brings that himself he died on that cross and he was raised back up again by god's power because of our salvation that He wanted dearly to give to us, to provide to us. And we have to accept that. The opposition says that we shouldn't have salvation. The opposition tries to convince us that we can't have salvation. Nehemiah his story says we can 
through the power of God. Let me pray for you.